Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church family. As Jacob said, we are in the third of four weeks of this series called Live in Love. And at the top of every message, we want you to meet some friends and to hear a little bit from someone else's perspective about how they're growing in their relationship. And so this is Jacob and Shannon. Jacob works here at Rolling Hills, and Shannon serves in a variety of capacities in our church. And they'll tell you a little bit about themselves. But thank you guys for being here today. And so I just want to start by asking the question that a lot of us always want to know. How did you meet? I thought you can say, when was the last time we were in a fight? No, so, no, no, good. not that one, not that one. We'll do that later. <clears throat> so I love telling this story. Shannon doesn't like telling it as much. So I was in 10th grade. She was in 9th grade. We lived in Mississippi. She went to the private school, and I went to the public school, so we weren't allowed to talk to each other. And uh, <laughs> just sort of kidding. But um, but we, we actually, we were in similar fringe groups. Like, her school was like a mile from my school. But we actually didn't meet for the first time until church Shanna actually went to church. I just showed up there. Shanna went to church because she loved Jesus. I went there because they had two things I was interested in, basketball and girls. So I would show up uh, afterwards. So we met there, but she was smart. She didn't want anything to do with me because I was a troublemaker. So she had wisdom and she loved Jesus. She was like, this guy's not the one. Um, But it was later on, after I became a follower of Christ in my mid-20s, I was on the greatest social media site of all time, MySpace. And... (laughs) I sent her a message that said, hey, do you remember me? And she was like, yeah, I remember you. And I was like, I love Jesus now. And I wish I had the response on paper. She said, I don't believe you. Um, And 20 years later, I'm still proving it to her that I do love Jesus. And 16 years of marriage later, four kids later, and now she loves me more than she ever has, correct? I love it. I always love any, any reference to MySpace in a sermon always makes me happy. Uh, so, Shanna, tell us a little bit about, because all relationships have highs and lows. Tell yes. us about what is that for you guys? What are some of the challenges and what are some of the blessings? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we've definitely had some challenges throughout the 16 years. I mean, um, we've walked through some really hard things, um, the loss of a child, the loss of parents, things like that. Um, but I guess I would just say overall for everyone, really, in marriage relationship, we really came um, from families that we didn't really see biblical marriage modeled. We didn't even really know what that looked like, honestly. Um, And so we were kind of going in as just, you know, sinful, selfish people into this thing called marriage and just in our 20s trying to figure that out together, um, trying to walk through, you know, from different backgrounds, different um, upbringings, all the different things. And then in this house together, trying to figure out how to love each other and really how to uh, have a godly marriage together. And so that was probably our, our greatest struggle. And then I would say on top of that, one of our greatest joys was that we realized, you know, when we first got married, we've got to find a place. Like, number one, we've got to be in a church where we can learn what this looks like and really learn what marriage is about. Um, and this was before Jacob was even a pastor. He was like a landscaper. Wasn't, didn't have to be at church. Did, wasn't on staff. So this was a choice that we made as a couple. And then we were like, we're going to go to that small group, even though we may, you know, feel uncomfortable. We're going to go and figure this out together. So that's where we really met couples that taught us. We saw maybe biblical marriage for the first time. These couples that 
we're choosing love daily that loved each other regardless. And people that I could really go to and be vulnerable and honest with. And I feel like, you know, we didn't have to put on a show and be like, we're not sure how we feel about each other today. We're not sure if we like each other today. And they're like, that's normal. Welcome to marriage. You know, this is a choice daily of two sinful people. And we're just trying to walk it out and follow Jesus the best we can together. So those relationships have been such a blessing. That's awesome. And you kind of hit on something, Shannon, that I want to ask Jacob. You talk about walking with Jesus. Jacob, how have you guys kept that central then? I mean, how have you kept the relationship with Christ central to your marriage relationship? Yeah, some of the things you already said, like making church a priority for our family, like it's a non-negotiable of having that community. But also, like, prayer is a community uh, value in our home. Like, we're going to pray together whether we feel like it or not. We, we're not perfect at it, but saying, hey, we're going to come to the Lord together as a family and put it all on the table, our heart, sharing um, all those things. But also being in the Word together, we're doing the read the Bible together, of holding each other accountable to uh, keep the Word at the center. But I would say the, the best way to do it for us, at least in our experience, is this. is like Shanna sees me at my best, and she sees me at my worst. She sees me at my most raw as a human, the good, the bad, and she loves me anyway. And I to her. And it really is the greatest picture of Jesus is to see the holistic version of ourselves and still choosing to love us. So us reflecting Jesus back and forth to each other. And also at those times where we are like at each other like this, we have four kids, so there are times when we're all like this. And where Shanna may be mad at me for being me and my holistic self. And for us to still be able in front of our kids to put our arms around each other and say, look, we're not earning each other's love. We just choose to love each other daily the same way we don't earn God's love. God just loves us and modeling that to our kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. And I know it takes a lot of courage to come up here. So I want you guys to let Jacob and Shannon know how much you appreciate them. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Relationships are not easy. Any relationship that you have in your life right now is one of those moments for you to be tested. And relationships have their highs and they have their lows. And these stories that we're sharing and the stories that you would share have a lot of similarities, I'm sure. And so that's the beauty of the Word of God is that it gives us insight into this. And we want to unpack some of that insight today. Now, sometimes people will ask me questions about what does the Bible say about marriage. And sometimes I think my answer to them is a little bit shocking because my answer to them is not much. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't actually have a whole lot to say about marriage compared to many other topics that the Bible gives us a lot of insight into. If you were to ask me the question of how do you live a life of faith, I could point you to one of about 550 verses that address a life of faith. If you were to ask me about heaven, which we just finished an incredible series about, there's close to 700 references to heaven in the Bible. How about this one? If you were to ask me what's God's view on money, 2,350 verses about our relationship with possessions. Did you know that 15% of Jesus' teaching was about material possessions and how I'm to relate to them. It's like he knew that was going to be an issue for us. But when it comes to marriage, the number of verses is much smaller, is much more succinct, is, is, is a lot harder for us to find, meaning that the ones that are there really need to be listened to. And meaning the ones that are there, I really need to dig into because there's evidently some incredible truth there that I need to glean, that God is giving us. So if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to turn to what is probably the 12 verses that are most often quoted and most often referenced in terms of the marital relationship in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, and you can follow along with me or on the screen as well or hop on 
on your mobile device. You're also going to see a lot of places there that you can follow with the references and maybe write in some of these sermon notes that we're going to be hitting here in just a little bit. Before we dive into the Word of God, though, why don't we pray? Because I believe every time that we assemble together, God wants to change us. And the only thing that's going to change us is by inviting Him into our lives and inviting him to do whatever he wants to do in our lives this morning. So will you join me in praying and asking God to move in whatever way he wants to move in our lives individually today. So Lord, thank you for just this time to be together. I'm grateful for the word we've already heard, and I'm thankful for what you're going to do as we now just simply make ourselves available to you. Thank you again, God, for who you are, and we just give this morning to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So there's 12 verses here and so much truth, but well over 50% of the room stopped paying attention when you saw this S word in there. Not that S word, the other one. Okay, submission. You saw this word submission, and you think to yourself, what's that all about? I don't like that word. In my circle, that word is really, really bad. But my prayer this morning is that we'll all walk away with a very clear understanding of what God is trying to show us here. Because the reality is what he's trying to show us through this passage is probably a lot different than maybe your mind immediately went to. Or maybe the place that your mind went to if you're hearing this for the first time. But there's a lot about this passage that deserves unpacking. Starting with it is the Word of God, and every time that we see the Word of God, what, does, what are we reminded of? That the Word of God is fruitful for a lot of things in our life, isn't it? It's fruitful to teach us, to encourage us, maybe to rebuke us, or to correct us in righteousness. We also know that this Word was delivered from God to Paul to the church. What do we know about Paul? He was single. One of the most pronounced verses of Scripture about marriage God gave to a single man. Go figure. To bring to the church at large. We also know in this that marriage is referred to as a mystery, to which all of the married people in the room resoundingly probably said, Amen. Yes, at times it seems a little bit mysterious to me. And we also see in this passage of Scripture a need for spiritual leadership. And that as men, we are called to grow in this area of spiritual leadership. I know that there's areas of growth in my life that I need to grow as a spiritual leader. And maybe the other men in the room could attest to that as well. And so my goal this morning is is to kind of help us understand what's really going on here and to walk away with some really practical takeaways that will encourage us and equip us in all of the relationships that we have. So let me ask you a question. Why do we tend to not like this word submission? Let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room before we go any further. I don't like this word submission because inherent in this word, submission means that I have to become less, that I'm not always going to get my way, and I don't like that. Inherent in this, in this word submission is the truth that someone else may be in charge. 
and I don't like that. Perhaps, ladies in the room, you have heard this text today, and you've heard this word submission, and it sends a red flag up in your mind right now because when you hear the word submission, your mind immediately goes to, well, that must mean subservient, or submission must mean less than, when in reality, the primary instruction in this passage of Scripture, in this marital relationship, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, is this, mutual submission. What does it say? Go back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may know this, but the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Greek and translated over. And that word submission literally is hupatasso, and it's a verb. So go back with me to elementary school grammar. What is a verb? It's an action word. So this process of submission, it's not just a state of being, but it's something that I literally have to act out. And what it means is to place oneself under, to subject myself to you. So what does the text say? The text says that husbands and wives are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sometimes we read this passage of Scripture and all we ever hear is wives need to do this, when in reality, out of the gate, it says there is a mutual submission to one another, a sense of I place myself under you and you place yourself under me. The text says that we are mutually to submit to one another. Is a husband supposed to submit to his wife because she's better than him? No. Is a wife supposed to submit to her husband because he is better than her? No. Lean in. Mutual submission happens, it says, out of a reverence for Christ. And that word reverence literally is translated better as fear. And so we mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of Christ, not like I'm afraid of him, but out of a respect for what it is that the Lord is doing in my life. So what's the big idea of this whole teaching on submission? I would encourage you to write this down. Submission to God is a prerequisite for understanding how I'm to submit to another person. Submission to God is a prerequisite to understand how I'm to submit to another person. Sometimes we read this passage of Scripture and we say, well, what's my takeaway? What does this mutual submission look like? The overarching assumption in Ephesians chapter 5 is that husbands and wives are submitting to the Lord first. And if we miss that, then nothing else in Ephesians 5 is going to make sense to us. There's this promise and this premise that I am submitting to the Lord first, that I am growing as a disciple first, meaning if there is no individual submission to the Lord in my life, then the idea of mutual submission to one another is going to be a very difficult concept for me to understand. It's kind of like if I were to try to explain algebra to you, but you didn't know how to add or subtract. You would be lost you would be confused. But what we often try to do is we try to understand how to submit to one another. We try to understand how to put the needs of our spouse or those in our relationships first, when in reality, we may have never really understood what it means to submit to the Lord. And as I grow in my submission to the Lord, saying, Lord, you are more important than me. My relationship with you is more important than anything else in my life. That is where we start. And that mutual submission that we show to one another naturally overflows out of that. It's been my experience that sometimes in our own relationship, in my wife's relationship and ours, or maybe in yours, some of the conversations that I've heard, sometimes the inability that we have to show mutual submission to one another isn't because we're terrible people and we don't want to do the right thing. It's just that we don't start from the right place. And we don't start from this deep understanding of what it means 
to submit to God first. So it's highly possible this morning that the best thing that you could do for your marriage today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I will tell you the best thing that you could do for any relationship right now is to say, I want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. It's the best piece of marriage advice I could ever give you. It's the best piece of relationship advice I could ever give you. Or maybe you're not where you need to be in that walk with Christ, that discipleship journey. The best thing that you could do for your marriage today is say, you know what, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day like Jacob and Shanna spoke about. Or you could say, you know what, the best thing that I know I can do for my relationship right now is to start serving in the life of the church. Because what do those principles put in place? All of those practices remind us that Jesus is our priority. All of those practices remind us that life's really not about me. And all those practices remind me the importance of intentionally seeking to place myself under the lordship and the submission of Jesus Christ. And then when we start working on our relationships with one another, have you guys ever heard that picture before? If this relationship is not right, then these relationships won't be right. You ever had an impasse with a coworker and you're thinking to yourself, it might be that my relationship with God is a little bit rough right now. And so as a result, I'm coming into my workplace and I'm just lashing out at everybody. And my, that might be the root of what's, what's happening. Sometimes in marriage, it's the same way. That if this relationship isn't right, then this one may not be right. But can you imagine, can you picture what a marriage would look like if every day husbands and wives woke up and they said, I'm going to do my best today to put his or her needs above my own. I'm going to do the best that I can today to put his or her desires and their wants above my own. That's the picture that God is giving us here in this text. So head back to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, again, in this text, we see this idea of submission. It's not servitude. It's not subservience, but it's submission. And in this text, who you see addressed first is men. And as men, we are called by God to do what I like to call get in the game. <laughs> We're called to lead. We're called to be spiritual leaders. And it, I, I hate that I even have to say this, but I do have to say this because I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Any man who would take this passage of Scripture and use it in an egregious way to power over another woman does not understand the Word of God because that is not at all what Paul is saying here. He's not saying you are better than anybody else. I repeat, if you have walked away with that, then you did not get that from me and you didn't get it from the Word of God. Because it's a very inaccurate representation of what God is trying to get us to understand here. Rather, what God is saying is that husbands, men, our role is to set the spiritual temperature in our homes. Our role is to set the spiritual barometer in our homes. We are to take the lead. And you all know that I am passionate about helping the men of Rolling Hills to grow and develop into who God has called them to be. It's something that I consider a deep privilege and a deep honor. It makes me quite sick at times to see how society talks down to men and how sometimes men are treated like children in society. But I want you guys to know a couple things. One, I want you to know that I'm in your corner and I'm cheering you on as you fulfill the spiritual leadership that God has placed in your life. But I also want to let you know that a lot is asked of us in the Bible. 
a lot is asked of us in this role that we carry. In fact, I would encourage you guys to take the lead. And if you need to turn up that relationship with Christ or you know you need to say, you know what, I've got to do a better job than I'm doing right now. I encourage you and I hope that you'll be encouraged in this process. I hope that you won't make your wife wonder if you're excited about spiritual things. They should see that in you. They should see an excitement for the things of the Lord. Don't make your wife wonder if you as a couple will be excited about joining a community group. Don't make your wife wonder if we're going to pray before bed. Don't make your wife wonder if we would be excited as a family if one of our teenagers wanted to go on a mission trip. Don't make your wife wonder, would we be excited as a family if our young adult daughter said, instead of going to law school, I want to go to Taiwan to be a missionary? Would you be excited about that? See, it's our role to lead out in that, to set the pace in that. And what naturally happens is that becomes a type of leadership that's very attractive. And that style of leadership is the style of leadership that other people want to follow, And what happens, men, when we lead that kind of way, what happens is that becomes attractive to follow. And those in our home want to pursue those things that we are pursuing. I had a couple in premarital counseling. I was doing some premarital counseling. This was several years ago. And we got to this passage of Scripture. And, y'all, they took major offense with this passage of Scripture to the point that I thought they were just going to get up and leave. And I was like, well, I hope that doesn't happen. But we were just trying to unpack the Word of God. And, uh, and I was listening to their story, and I spoke specifically to this young man. And I said, you know, you have a, a very important role in your home. And then I looked at this young lady, and I said, you also have an equally important role in your home. I said, but can I paint a picture for you? I said, can I paint this picture for you? Imagine, if you will, that your husband woke up every day and he spent time on his knees praying for you. Imagine that your husband woke up every day and he spent time praying for your future family. Imagine that your husband woke up every day and spent time praying for your future as a family. Imagine if your husband had such a strong faith that there was not a culture of worry or anxiety in your home. Imagine if he had such a strong faith that your needs were prioritized above his own. He let out in prayer. He let out in generosity. When there was needs that that were surfacing in the community, he was the one that let out in that. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, how difficult would it be to follow that kind of leadership? To which, through tears, she said, not at all. And I think that sometimes what the world has taught us is that this is a type of leadership that you shouldn't pursue. But in reality, I would venture to say that most of you in this room would say, I wouldn't reject that type of leadership at all. I would yearn for that type of leadership. And so men and women, guys, there's a lot at stake. And I'm praying for you men, especially as you grow into who God yearns for you to be. But if we want to put any of this into practice, If we really want to have mutual submission, which is God's design, where no party says I'm better than the other, but we're mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, what has to happen in my relationship for that to be present? Well, for starters, humility. In fact, I hope that you'll write this down. Humility may be the most underrated characteristic of healthy relationships. I think humility may be the most underrated characteristic of healthy relationships. What does the world say makes a healthy relationship? Money, good looks, influence, And how has that worked out for us? Not so much. Whereas humility, I believe, is the most underrated 
characteristic of healthy relationships. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. We even talked about this last week, but what is love? Love is not self-seeking, is it? Love is not boastful. Love is not prideful. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Humility is required to show that kind of love, isn't it? If I want to mutually submit to someone else, I have to start from a posture of humility and to say, you know what? I'm always going to consider them better than myself. And then back to the text, it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I, as a husband, am to love my wife like Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? How much did Christ love the church? So much that he died for it. How much does Christ love the church? So much that he was mocked and insulted and beaten and torn down and criticized. See, that's the type of love that I am to espouse in my marriage relationship. So in all of our relationships, I hope that you'll be encouraged by this as well. Jesus' love should be the standard that I seek to espouse. Jesus' love should be the standard that I seek to emulate in all of my relationships. It's truly that Jesus type of love that I am to grow in, that helps me to be humble and helps me to mutually submit to one another. Back to verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery But I'm talking about Christ and the church. I am to love my wife like I love myself. Well, how much do we love ourselves? In a moment of full disclosure, quite a bit. Of course, we take care of our own needs. Of course, we think about ourselves. See, I'm actually to show more care for her than I am to myself. And at the root of that... If I want to live that way, it's, ne- it's, it's going to necessitate that I have humility and that I live in a sacrificial way, that I have compassion and I have grace. It also means that I have to be patient, and it also means that at times I'm not going to get what I want when I want it. But what does the world say? The world gives us a much different picture. The world says you can have whatever you want whenever you want it, and if this relationship doesn't work out, no biggie. The world says take your relationship as far as you want. For those in the room who are single, what the world is telling you right now is you can move in with whomever, do whatever you want, be as intimate outside of the bounds of marriage as you want. But what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that you're experiencing the benefits of God's design without the mutual submission of God's design. You're experiencing the benefits of God's design without the responsibility of God's design. And tell me how it works out in life when we experience all the benefits without any of the responsibility. Not good. If I hire you as a new employee and I say, we're going to pay you for an entire year of work, but you don't have to do anything. You get an entire year of vacation paid from the first day. At that 365-day mark, how is it going to work if I pull you in and say, now we need to do a performance review and we need to actually kind of course correct some things. And you actually are not going to have to log 45 hours in the office to get paid. What are you going to do? You're going to bail. 
because you experienced all of the benefits without any of the responsibility. And when it comes to the world's relationships, they say that that's okay, but God's design for relationships is much different. And I encourage you to write this down. God's design for relationships is vastly different from the world's design of relationships. Be it coworker, friends, um, fiancés, husbands, wives, in every relationship you have right now, God's desire is for you to grow in humility, to grow in sacrifice, to be long-suffering, <clears throat> and ultimately to find that joy in submitting to one another. And then we get to verse 33, which is so cool. This is like top 10 favorite verses for me in the Bible. It's this golden nugget of truth that we have looked over because it gives us this specific instruction about how men and women are to interact with one another. And it's so profound, and I believe that it truly has the potential to be a game changer in your relationship, so much so that there are entire marriage ministries that are built around this verse of Scripture. Sarah and Emerson Egerich are probably the most well-known. They have an entire ministry called Love and Respect, and their resources are so good. Go to Amazon and buy that book if you have not read it. But here's the instruction. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the culmination of that teaching. Husbands are to love their wives, and wives are to respect their husbands. Please write down these two points. To be loved is central to the heart of a woman. And to be respected is central to the heart of a man. To be loved is central to the heart of a woman, and to be respected is central to the heart of a man. Guys, I want to start with you, and I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm saying it to you. The women in our lives have a deep-rooted need to be loved. They have a deep-rooted need to be loved. And it's our responsibility to lean into those things. We need to lean into her desire to be loved. It's highly possible that in all of our relationships that your wife is doing things that you have never noticed, that you have never thanked her for, and that you've never taken the time to let her know how much you appreciate that and how much you love that she has done that for you and your family. There's some incredible researchers like Shanti Feldhahn who have been saying for decades on her research that there are many women that have a deep-rooted insecurity where they wonder if their husbands still love them, where wives wonder if he had it to do all over and he knows everything that he knows about me now, would he still want to be with me? In fact, she says it's the number one question that wives are asking. Him knowing everything he knows about me, would he choose me again? Does he still love me? Guys, your wife needs to hear frequently, I might add, I am so glad I married you. She needs to hear frequently from you. There is no one else I would rather be with than you. She needs to hear frequently from you. I don't know what our family would do without you. I promise you guys, she is wondering what you are thinking about her and your actions of love will speak directly to her heart. Ladies, let me give you some insight into the heart of a man. 
Because as men, we have a deep-rooted need to be respected. Just like that deep-rooted need to be loved is from God, our deep-rooted need to be respected is also from God. And so I'm going to encourage you ladies to take every effort you can to let the men in your life know they are doing a good job. Whatever you can do to let us know that you notice how hard we are working, that you notice what we are doing for our family, If insurance comes through his company, for example, maybe you could say to him sometime, babe, you just saved us $64,327 on that procedure because you brought insurance into this marriage and you are a superman. Thank you for that. It tears me up thinking about you saying that. (laughs) I promise, what's he going to do? He's going to throw them shoulders back and he's going to say, he's going to say, that's right. I work hard for insurance for this family. Men have a deep-rooted desire to know that we measure up. We want to be good for you. We want to provide for you. And we work hard, and we want you to notice it. You can even write this down. Say to your husband some point in time, and I quote, you are a beast of a man. Beast, (laughs) B-E-A-S-T. Write it down. Not you are a beast, but you are a beast of a man. I have never felt more safe and secure than when I am with you. You provide for our family. You are a great accountant, fill in the blank, whatever he does. You are a great husband. You are a great father, and you are killing it. Do you need me to repeat any of that? Did did everybody get all that? (laughs) What naturally happens then is when a man feels respected, how does he act? He acts lovingly. And when a woman feels loved, how does she naturally respond? Respectfully. And you probably noticed this in the text, but did you notice that neither love or respect had any qualifiers connected to them? It didn't say show your wife love when she earns it or show your husband respect when he earns it. They are both to be given with an unconditional sense. But what happens when a woman doesn't feel loved? when she doesn't feel noticed, when we don't speak to that need for love in her life, when she doesn't know if we're happy in that relationship, often what will happen is she might start acting disrespectfully or she might start talking about you to her friends or she might start tearing you down publicly. When a man doesn't feel respected, what does he tend to do? He tends to act unlovingly, back with his words and action. Sometimes as men, if we don't feel respected, we kind of mope around looking for that affirmation wherever we can find it. And sometimes sports brings that affirmation. Sometimes vices bring that affirmation. Sometimes we stay at work a little bit later because our boss notices everything that we're doing. But we want you to notice what we're doing. But praise God, when we get on that crazy cycle of what Emerson and Sarah Egerich say, It's this crazy cycle. When we get on that crazy cycle, isn't it amazing to know that we can get off of that cycle? Praise God, it doesn't have to stay that way. God has given us this instruction. God has given us this model. God has given us these guidelines. And you know the beauty of it? They work. They actually work. And maybe you kind of stopped paying attention at the top of the message because you thought, I have nothing to learn today. Or maybe you've drifted off throughout the course of this message because your marriage might be in such a rough spot that you're thinking, we cannot do this. I want to give you a challenge today. I want you to try this. In fact, I would encourage you to try it to the letter of the law and see what happens. Because maybe you're in a place of dysfunction right now. If this doesn't work, do you know what you can always do? You can always go back to what you were doing that was dysfunctional. 
if it doesn't work out for you. But the reality is, I believe when we lean into God's design for our relationships, growth tends to happen. And so for all of us this morning, I, I want you to know how important this is, so much so that we've built in some time this morning for you to be prayed over. And I encourage you in this time, as we're going to have some of our pastoral care team leaders and their spouses in just a moment move to this room, I'm going to pray here in just a second, and the band's going to come out and lead us in a song in just a moment. But here for about five to six minutes, if you want someone to pray over you, pray over your marriage, then I want to give you the freedom to do that this morning. And listen to this. You might be in a great place, and you've heard the pastor said, we can take some prayer, and we never turn that down, and so we're going to walk up and have somebody pray over us. Awesome. That might not be your story, though. You might not be in such a good place. But regardless, you don't have to say anything. You don't need to worry about being judged. You don't have to tell them your deepest, darkest secrets. But we're here this morning to just let you know that God sees you and that God yearns for your relationships to be God-honoring. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. The band's going to come out, and some of our pastoral care team and their spouses are going to move throughout the room as well at this time. Just so when you open your eyes and when we start with a time of worship that you can see where you need to go. So I want you to join me in prayer, and if you would like, I'd like for you to move and just have someone pray over you. And my prayer for all of us is that we would seek to grow in love and that we'd seek to grow in our understanding of the type of relationships that God yearns for us to have. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.